do you want to know what it is? Body, mind, empowerment. Get stronger, faster, smarter, quicker, friendlier, more helpful, more driven. Everything the body needs. Control your mind. Well, hello, hello. Welcome to the Body, Mind, Empowerment podcast. I'm your host, Seamland, and this is a live Q&A from my YouTube channel because... Um, we just hit 100,000 subscribers on the YouTube and yeah, it's uh, quite a significant milestone and uh, something that uh, I've been working on for uh, quite a long time and I want to kind of appreciate and say thank you to everyone who has been supporting me and uh, everyone who subscribed and uh, watched the video so it uh, does help and uh, gives me some feedback. Because of this milestone you can also get a 20% discount on the Metabolic Autophagy Masterclass if you want to really understand all these topics uh, in uh, great detail and master this. So yeah, head over to the show notes and you can use the code SEAM20 for a 20% discount on the Metabolic Autophagy Masterclass. But on that, let's carry on with the show. I'm 24 hour water fasted and 2 day dry fasted. How can I break my fast? Well, uh, I don't know, maybe, <laughs> well, the first thing, maybe you should start with some uh, water. If you're doing dry fasting, that's that's also definitely like a good uh, idea. So I, I wouldn't think it's a good idea to start eating like a bunch of, uh, you know, actual food if you're coming from like a dry fast, because uh, it may be somewhat harder for you to uh, digest. Uh, so yeah, like, you know, regular water is fine to break the dry fast with. But if you have some, some so- sort of like a bone broth, then that's also great, and uh, I would categorize the bone broth, uh, you know, breaking the both the dry fast as well as the water fast. So if I'm ever coming from a like longer fast, then I like to do like some sort of a like a soup soup based liquid or a bone broth type of thing, uh, because uh, it essentially helps you to seal some of the gut lining that may get broken down while while you're fasting, as well as uh, promote the nutrient absorption that you get uh, after breaking the fast. So yeah, it's uh, really good stuff. Uh, which sauna would you recommend better, wood or electric? Uh, well, like the tra- <laughs> there's nothing better than like a good traditional uh, sauna with uh, the wooden stove. So uh, you know, in practice, there's not much difference between the wooden sauna and the electric sauna. So the temperatures are still f- the same, and uh, there's no like real difference there. Uh, but, but, you know, from a, I don't know, experiential or like just the experience of going to a regular, regular traditional sauna with a wooden stove is uh, just better. <laughs> so uh, it's kind of more, more exciting and more um, authentic, if that makes sense. But, you know, in, in, both of them work, both of them same. They're not, they're not going to give you like a, in a different uh, health benefits that essentially similar heat, similar uh, humidity and those sort of things. But if you compare it to like a infrared sauna, then the infrared sauna is somewhat different from the traditional sauna. So the traditional sauna heats the air around you and uh, raises the temperature of your body through that. But the infrared sauna, kind of the wavelengths of the infrared are penetrating your skin and uh, stimulating collagen synthesis and going deeper into the tissue. So they're in that sense they're different, but uh, the infrared sauna doesn't go as hot as the traditional sauna. So um, like a from a like a hormetic effect from a hormetic perspective, then the traditional sauna is a more of a hormetic stressor because um, because of the temperatures going higher and you release more heat shock proteins. 
but the infrared sauna is more of like a I would I would maybe think that it's it's just a good uh, way of uh, getting some some sweat going and raising your temperature and getting some of the benefits of the infrared. And probably it's better for the skin health as well because it goes deeper into the tissue. Uh, do, do, any good tips for learning for school besides good sleep? Well, um, yeah, like uh, one of the best things that I think would benefit anyone who's doing some sort of cognitive work is to practice some meditation uh, because it's essentially like just this sort of a massive uh, it's like a meta skill it's going to make everything else that you do so much better and uh, you're teaching yourself how to learn better and how to control your mind and uh, kind of control your brain state in a way and uh, yeah like meditation is something that i wish i definitely started sooner and uh, it's improves cognition just just general mindfulness and uh, self-control so one of the biggest hurdles of um, you know learning anything is uh, not not the material itself or even not like your own iq or intelligence it's more of like a matter of are you able to just sit down and concentrate and uh, do the work and actually learn so just the people people lack the discipline and they lack the focus to uh, spend like many hours doing some just one thing at a time and uh, that's sort of the problem the problem isn't that you're not intelligent or that you're not smart or that you don't have the information the problem is uh how do you how do you uh obtain that information and how do you um kind of install it into your or how do you remember the information so that's why like being able to concentrate and sit down and uh, that sort of thing is the best best advice for actually learning anything let's see is red light therapy worth the hype well, uh, if uh, it's definitely very beneficial, uh, for example, reducing inflammation, there's a lot of studies actually. It's been used for like you know several decades, and studies show it uh, helps with testosterone. It's going to lower inflammation and uh, improve skin health. It has some detox benefits, and just general mitochondrial functioning also improves. So uh, yeah, it's definitely something that you don't really experience um, that easily, so to say. So naturally, you would get red light from uh, like the sunset and uh, natural sunlight. But the problem, you know, how many people are actually seeing the sunset? And in many parts of the world, there is no sun at all. So currently, we only get like the sun maybe once or twice a week here in Estonia. So yeah, like um, it's definitely, I think it's worth it. And it's definitely very beneficial. So uh, you can't really biohack it uh in any other way uh, besides from actually getting into the into the sun or using like an infrared sauna as well so uh, you know the red light device red light therapy devices are definitely very uh convenient and they do work effectively the best you can even use it for like just uh, improving sleep quality so uh kind of mimics some of the uh natural sunset is fifth is, is a 56 hour fast enough for autophagy well, uh, yeah, like that's a big, big misconception that I've been uh, battling or trying to refute in uh, quite a few of my videos that you need to fast for like three to five days to stimulate autophagy. And uh, essentially, if you're not doing that, then you're never ever actually getting autophagy. Well, that's wrong because uh, there is uh, some autophagy happening almost all the time, like this sort of a minute basal autophagy. And uh, that's, you know, involved in even like burning fat 
regulating your bloodstream from certain nutrients as well as fighting infections all of those things are um, using the autophagy mechanisms and uh, you know the idea just while you're doing these longer fasts then the degree of that autophagy is going to increase substantially and that may have like some health benefits so um, you know whether or not you need to fast for that long like 56 hours or 73 hours or such yet it depends on like what you're doing uh, what you're doing before the fast and what's your general uh, health situation and metabolic uh, status if that so uh, for example if you are you know you're insulin resistant you're overweight then it is true that you may have to fast for like several days in order to reach autophagy because you're sick <laughs> and you have like a bunch of extra glycogen around you're not really burning energy and therefore in order to go into like a more deeper state of autophagy then you need to burn through that glycogen but uh, you know people who are already eating a healthy diet whole foods diet and especially like if you're eating a low-carb diet then you can get into autophagy much faster because uh, you don't have like a bunch of uh, extra energy that you need to burn through. And you can also speed things up with like exercise and taking a sauna. So yeah, like you can, you can literally do, you can literally do like a 30, 30 minute cardio session and you're already going to see increased autophagy afterwards. Uh, what's the best time for OMAD and what time of the day window is good for IF? Um, well, yeah, like, in my opinion, there's no real difference uh, between or when you eat, as long as you, you know, just don't eat immediately before going to bed. So that, that's the, kind of the big, biggest or the most important uh, principle to keep in mind, just eating a bunch of food and then going to bed just that doesn't make sense and it's also like a pretty it makes you makes you feel uncomfortable makes you disrupt your sleep and probably is not optimal for nutrient partitioning as well but besides that you can essentially have the one meal a day at any other time of the day that you wish uh, because uh, you know there is the circadian rhythm aspect but there are many other aspects to this uh, circadian uh, rhythm uh, time receiving eating so uh, those studies if you're you know it matters if you're doing like a standard, you're eating like a normal diet. If you're eating three to five times a day, then yeah, eating earlier in the day is probably better because uh, you're already spending this majority of time in a fit state throughout the entire day and you're not going into autophagy and you're not really, you know, going into ketosis. So uh, that's why if you're doing, you know, the opposite, which would be some form of time you eating IF, OMAD, 16 and 8, whatever it is, then in that situation, it doesn't matter if you're eating later in the day because your eating window is already compressed and it kind of counterbalances itself out. So they actually do studies where they compare eating either breakfast and uh, lunch or lunch and dinner, and they see that there is no difference in terms of in terms of the blood sugar as well as the lipid profile, weight loss, or any of those or any of those things. They're basically the same because uh, the calories are the same, the eating window is the same and uh, the fasting aspect is the same but if they de if they go back into the regular way of eating then there might be a difference because uh, they eliminate the fasting component and therefore you know it's less optimal but yeah if you compare the same hours of uh, if you compare the same fasting window and you place it either earlier into the day or later into the day then there's not much difference i personally choose to have dinner because it's kind of com more convenient and it's simpler <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I, like skipping breakfast is uh, much easier, in, in my opinion. 
But one exception would be like, for example, if you are indeed trying to stimulate more autophagy, then it would be smarter to uh, either skip or, or it would be better to skip either dinner completely or have like a very small dinner because uh, if you go into if you go sleep uh, with like um, you know having digested all the food with like a mild empty stomach, then you're you're also gonna potentially get more autophagy because um, actually the like the majority of autophagy gets processed while you're sleeping. So uh, yeah, like going to bed in a faster state would give you more autophagy compared to going into bed while ha just having eaten. So that's why, like, yeah, you shouldn't eat right before going to bed. Uh, any recommendation for intermittent fasting for people aged more than 60? So, yeah, you know, there's the there's the potential danger of uh, losing muscle mass because of uh, doing intermittent fasting. And as you get older, maintaining your muscle mass is incredibly important. And you know, part of the aging process happens as a result of uh, losing functional muscle mass. And the way you offset that is by still doing resistance training, uh, staying active and increasing your protein intake to kind of support the muscle uh, maintenance. And you can make the argument that because of intermittent fasting, limiting your uh, protein synthesis, it's not ideal for people who are old. But at the same time, um it can uh, there's also there's also the the argument that or there are also some studies showing that autophagy as well as calorie restriction they can uh, mitigate the age-related muscle loss which is called sarcopenia and the way it happens is through stimulating autophagy as well as uh improving nad metabolism so uh that's why it can be intermittent fasting is like a protective um practice that protects your body against catabolism. It becomes more, let's say, hormetically resilient against uh, muscle loss, so to say, if you keep your uh, autophagy pathways activated. Because, uh, you know, imagine if you've never, you know, it, it is true that fasting is a catabolic stressor and it does promote tissue breakdown, but at the same time, it strengthens the body against those things in the future because it gains the reference experience. So, uh, it's kind of a, like a site-specific or a practice-specific uh, stress response. So uh, some some form of fasting, intermittent fasting and time machine eating are still beneficial for even older people. And uh, you just have to make sure that you increase your protein intake. And yeah, like a higher protein intake is uh, generally better for uh, people who are older than 60. And, you know, anyone else as well, like just it's uh, generally uh, better for body composition as well as performance. And yeah, like just maintaining muscle tissue. But uh, for older people, like I don't think there's no need to do like these longer fasts. It's just gonna be kind of backfiring against you. It's it's not gonna be worth it to do like a three day fast if you're already losing mus muscle. It's gonna be just harder for you to um, maintain that muscle afterwards. So uh, that's why for these um, the older population, sticking to the sixteen and eight maybe or doing uh, that sort of thing is uh, already good enough. Uh, did you see the study showing N-acetylcysteine massively reducing flu symptoms? Uh, I'm not sure which kind of a study are you talking about, but yeah, like um, N-acetylcysteine does promote uh, glutathione, so uh, it makes sense that it's going to help with flu. <laughs> and, you know, other things as well, like, um, you know, fasting and uh, exercise, they already helps also with glutathione, so they're going to help you to... Uh, First of all, they're going to prevent you from getting sick, but 
they may also help you to overcome the, some of the symptoms if you if they're just mild symptoms. But if 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 the if the symptoms have already set in, and you're already like severely sick, then fasting as well as exercise may make things worse. So yeah, it's gonna you have to know like when do you use these things and uh, in what dose. Uh, you got some mosquitoes in your cabin. <laughs> no, I think it's uh, some particles floating around. Uh, I'm on keto umat, but I ate three times yesterday. All were keto meals. Last meal was small at 12 a.m. If I want to get back to umat, should I eat at my regular time, which is either 11:30 a.m. or 12 p.m. to start over? Uh, well, you can just go back to the uh, regular way of doing things that you used to. So you you don't need to kind of push the envelope again, so to say. You just have to, you know, the the uh, the amount of calories or your calorie balance shouldn't be looked at only within the twenty four hour period. Like you actually have like your your calorie balance can be looked at over the course of the entire week, so to say. So. You're you're always never you're never eating like the exact same amount of food every day unless you're weighing your food and measuring everything. But most people's calorie intake fluctuates all the time. On some days they eat more, on the other days they eat less. So it kind of balances itself out constantly. And whether you gain weight or lose weight depends on the balance between over the course of the entire week. So uh, yeah, you shouldn't freak out about uh, overeating on some days or uh, something like that, or kind of or eating more meals on some days. You just have to get back on track and uh, make adjustments in a way. Okay, if you if you're going, trying to go back to OMAD, then just have a smaller OMAD, and uh, it's gonna work out just fine. Do you think people should drink snake juice? Uh, well. You know, it's essentially salted water, so uh, I don't see a reason why not. And uh, you know, in in some situations, like doing a fast, it can be useful for uh, getting the electrolytes and uh, preventing muscle cramps and those sort of things. So yeah, it's it's useful. Just uh, just have to know how much are you taking in and uh, whether or not you know if you're over consuming sodium then that's not a good idea either so if you're like i don't i i myself don't consume like salted water if i'm only fasting within a day like i'm i already know that uh, i'm going to break my fast in the evening and i'm getting like the salt from actual food like seasoning and those sort of things so uh in that sense i'm not cons i'm not worried about uh getting additional sodium during the daytime but if i were to do like a long fast beyond 24 hours then i would maybe add some uh, electrolytes but uh, other than that i'm not really worried how do you sleep better while fasting uh well yeah like depends on how long the fast is and uh whether or not it's worth it so it's it is inevitable that you may experience some sleep loss uh, because of fasting and the increased cortisol and stress so uh you know if it's hap if it's uh if it's just like the one single night, then I don't see a big problem from that. You can just deal with it in a way, because a short short term sleep deprivation is isn't uh, that harmful. So it actually it can actually stimulate some autophagy as well. So uh, as well as uh, other you know neurotrophic factors and BDNF and those sort of things. So like one single night of sleep deprivation, in my opinion, is not a problem. You can just maybe take like a short nap and do like some form of polyphasic sleeping because uh 
the best part about polyphasic sleeping is that you can condition your body to fall asleep faster and at the same time you don't need like these massive blocks of sleep in order to function and feel normal so you can uh, you're you can d- still have like small naps maybe even several times throughout the day and still get like adequate amounts of sleep in so uh, that's that's something that you you may want to look into but to maybe fall asleep to help with falling asleep you can drink some herbal teas uh, those tend to be like sm- smoothing and uh, relaxing and as well as take some magnesium like a higher dose of magnesium to uh, relax yourself uh, what's a good time for people fasting over the age of 60 or 70 well i think uh, like for them they can they can stick to like 14 hours of fasting and uh, 10 hours of eating or they can go for 16 and 8 that's a good uh, i think a good amount for those people uh, but yeah it depends on their level de- depends on like how dialed in are they with their diet so if a person is uh, already eating a high quality diet they know what they're doing they eat enough protein they're exercising they're getting enough sleep then they can even do omat so yeah it depends on the person uh, but if i'm like if i were to if I were to give advice to some like my grandma or someone who doesn't know a lot about nutrition and they're probably not eating like enough nutrient uh, dense foods and they're not eating enough protein, then for them, I would recommend to fast less because I know they, they will make more mistakes by default and I'm not, I'm not going to be there to correct those mistakes all the time. So yeah, it depends on the person, but uh, generally, you know, um, all the older people can still do some form of time restricted eating and it's uh, pretty beneficial. Does autophagy prevent corona? Uh, well, you know the there has been uh, you know previous previous versions of the coronavirus like the SARS as well as the Middle Eastern uh, uh, respiratory syndrome MERS. Those those uh, conditions have been found to be improved uh, by autophagy. So uh, I'm not making any claims. And there's also equally enough um, evidence to show that it doesn't help with corona or any other virus. So, like, for instance, depends on the particular virus, depends on the particular person's immune system, and uh, depends on the degree of symptoms. So, autophagy can be useful for many, many respiratory-related illnesses like uh, cystic cystic fibrosis, as as well as COPD and uh, pneumonia, or even, like, uh, protects against uh, cigarette smokes so yeah like it depends on the situation so it's never never um, never this black and white answer related to these things but there are many some some viruses that can um, actually benefit from autophagy such as um, you know HIV <laughs> has been shown to be uh, not useful or not uh, autophagy is not going to be beneficial for that Uh, but uh, hey, can you recommend the best supplement for regenerating the brain after drug abuse? Uh, I think I I don't think maybe like a supplement would be beneficial because you're still gonna being dependent of some sort of a stimulus and a supplement. So uh, I think lion's mane is great because lion's mane is been shown to like uh, promote neurogenesis, like it's gonna grow new brain cells and at the same time it's an adapt- adaptogen. 
so it modulates your nervous system so uh yeah i would uh, maybe stick to some of the medicinal mushrooms like reishi and lion's mane and turkey tail and those sort of things and maybe like even even going for like a keto diet can be beneficial because uh, you're uh, essentially giving your brain some ketones and uh, an alternative fuel source uh, besides glucose and that can be beneficial for like you know the use uh, or like they've been shown that uh, mct oil and exogenous ketones they can help with uh, traumatic brain injury and concussions as well as jet lag and uh, sleep deprivation and those things so yeah they're pretty beneficial for uh, the brain in several videos you say that gluconeogenesis fills up your muscles so if i do cdk being very very fat adapted how long does it take to get back to ketosis by the way liver would be empty because no sugar uh so you mean that uh okay so you're doing cyclical keto diet you're very fat adapted how long does it take you to get back into ketosis and uh and at the same time keeping in mind that your uh, muscle glycogen is can be replenished yeah like your muscle glycogen can be replenished with uh, either protein which amino acids and even some fats can be converted into glycogen through gluconeogenesis and even like while you're fasting your muscle glycogen will replenish itself even if you're fasting uh, and eating anything by converting your body fat into glycogen and then storing that glycogen into muscle cells it's a it's it's a longer process than eating straight up sugar uh, but uh it's still possible and yet yeah, the human body is very adaptable so your muscle glycogen can replenish itself uh, without eating anything so in the context of doing the cyclical keto diet then how the way i recommend doing it is uh you know before you eat the carbs you you know most of the week you eat low carb keto you keep your you keep your liver glycogen low but your muscle glycogen stays relatively full and uh, if you're doing the sick you're trying to break ketosis by eating some carbs then before you do that you should have like a very glycogen depleting workout essentially resistance training with uh with with the goal of depleting the muscle glycogen and then introducing the carbs so that the carbs would be then shuttled into the muscle glycogen and uh, therefore not having a significant effect on your ketosis or your blood sugar for that matter so you're basically you can you can just uh, refill the muscle glycogen and uh, ideally if you're very metabolically flexible then you can already get back into ketosis by the next day because uh, the carbs you eat weren't being used for fat storage and they weren't being used for just spilling over they were they were used for uh, the muscle glycogen and yeah, it depends on your degree of fat adaptation and uh, metabolic flexibility. So, um, and if you worked out before, so if you eat carbs without having worked out before, then it's probably going to take you much longer to get back into ketosis because you didn't have this, you know, sink <laughs> into which the carbs went. So you're just, uh, just that you're going to take longer. But uh, if you, if you have like a massive workout before that, then uh, you can probably you know get back into and it depends on the amount of carbs as well if you're eating if you're eating like a thousand grams of carbs that is going to take a lot much longer time compared to eating only like 200 grams of carbs or something can't sleep equal high histamines maybe it can it can be a problem so uh yeah like just try to eliminate some fermented foods and those sort of thing and aged foods and cheeses and see like how do you whether or not you do better I do fast every day. Is it is it too much? 
I think depends on uh, what kind of a fast are you doing and uh, how stressful it is for you and how adapted to you how adapted you are to it. So in general, there's no there's no real reason to change your fasting routine as long as you're still making progress. So if you hit a plateau, then that's a sign that you've adapted to the fast and maybe you need to change something. So um, in that sense, I don't think there's a, there's a real problem as long as you're still making progress. But at the same time, I think that maybe uh, having change, having an additional meal or changing some of the window is a, is a, is a, is a beneficial thing. At least like a, at least maybe once a week or something. Let's keep going. What do you think of carnivore diet versus ketogenic diet? Well, they're very similar. The difference is that uh, the carnivore diet is higher in protein and is uh, z zero carb. Essentially, it doesn't have plants. And, you know, the difference, you know, it depends on what kind of a ketogenic diet do you mean. Like, if it's the strict therapeutic ketogenic diet, then, uh, you know, the, the, the strict ketogenic diet is, uh, you know, supposed to keep you in ketosis and it's used for epilepsy and that sort of thing. And it's low in protein and low in carbs. So the ketogenic diet isn't beneficial for body composition and it's not uh, ideal for most people. So, uh, but, but at the same time, if you're doing like a higher protein keto diet, then I think there's not much difference because you're getting uh, more than enough protein and uh, you're also getting the benefits of the ketones. So you do get some aspects of ketosis on the carnivore diet, but you're not in ketosis all the time. So it's a very, it's a very uh, metabolically flexible uh, way of eating the carnivore diet because you're essentially getting some carbs from the gluconeogenesis of the protein. So. Uh, I would say that for uh, like a pure pure performance perspective, the carnivore diet may be better than the keto diet. But uh, you know, yeah, like most, like there's not there's not much difference besides just the fact that uh, you're not eating plants on the carnivore diet. What should I eat two weeks before ayahuasca? <laughs> well, uh, I think you have to ask the shamans who are going to do this ceremony because uh i haven't done ayahuasca so and i haven't researched it into either so yeah <laughs> you have to kind of ask someone else how can i increase mitochondrial energy production i.e atp well you know a lot of things can uh, support that like you know exercise fasting uh sauna red light therapy and uh, those sort of things, some nutrients like CoQ10, uh, D-ribose, they're beneficial for mitochondrial. But yeah, generally anything that is hormetically stimulating in a way can be beneficial because your mitochondria need like, a, you know, they need a reason to function more efficiently. If you're sitting on your couch, <laughs> then uh, there's no re real need to uh, support mitochondrial production either. What do you think about blood donations? So uh, blood donations can be useful for um, managing your iron uh, levels. So if your iron levels are too high, then that's a, like a risk factor for uh, uh, heart disease and uh, elevation of homocysteine. So yeah, if your iron is high, then the fastest and easiest way to lower that is to uh, donate blood. So uh, men may want to do it more regularly than uh, women. So uh, women, they have a natural way of uh, uh, 
kind of lo losing losing some of their blood through the period. So uh, men don't have that. So uh, that donating blood is the only way for them to like really fast lower their iron levels. Do you believe hyperbaric therapy is a good way to stress the body as heat, cold, or food deprivation? So uh, it's not like the same, in my opinion, as heat or cold, but uh, it does improve like oxygen um, oxygen up intake, and yeah, it does have like a mitochondrial benefit as well. So uh, yeah, it's a it's a different type of a hormetic stressor, but it's a it's still a hormetic stressor. It's just like a has a different effect. What do you think about creatine supplementation? Uh, it's great. Yeah, like uh, creatine turns out to be like a pretty potent supplement that uh, a lot of people could take for like both performance, uh, cognition, as well as just uh, general longevity. So yeah, like uh, I don't see, uh, you know, yeah, like I, I myself take maybe like three to five grams of creatine uh, basically every day. What are your thoughts on alternate day fasting? It's uh, it it may be actually pretty good. So uh, you know, ha eating normally for one day and then eating like a very low calorie meal the other day, it's like basically the same as these uh, diets like uh, the keto fast by Dr. Mercola or uh, the fasting mimicking diet by Walter Longo. So they can be pretty useful. And I do think that if you are eating only like five hundred calories of some vegetables and some soup and some broth, then you will get some uh, significant autophagy because of the severe calorie deficit. Uh, but the problem is that you may also just lose more muscle mass as well because of uh, not being in full ketosis. And that's why I like, I think um, if you are doing like an alter alternative fast, then uh, staying in ketosis on those days where you are fasting, quote unquote, then that's a smarter idea to kind of increase increase the protein and fat and uh, keep the carbs low so that you would stay in ketosis is working out in a fast state better than in a fat state when do you eat after working out uh it depends on the goals and uh, depends on the situation so i think in most in most cases uh, you would be stronger and you would perform better if you worked out in a fat state and you would also like um, maintain more muscle mass if you worked out in a fat state but you would uh if you work out in a fast state then your fat oxidation uh, would be higher but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to lose more fat so yeah it kind of depends on the calorie intake at the end of the day but uh yeah like depends on which one you prefer and which kind of a fasting window you have as well if you're if you're having let's say two meals a day then uh, working out in a fit state is fine. Like you break your fast, you work out, and you eat your second meal. Doesn't like a really good situation. But if you're working out, if you're eating only once a day, then either one is fine. But I think that uh, in 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 the case of one meal a day, uh, working out fasted and then eating would be better for the body composition because uh, you know you're essentially giving your body the nutrients and the repair after after having worked out so if you continue to fast after having worked out then it's pot potentially more catabolic than the opposite way what kind of natural sweeteners you recommend for keto and uh, alternative fasting um, well you know yeah there's the popular like stevia and and monk fruit and those things 
but I think actually a really good uh, sweetener that isn't an actual sweetener is a glycine and trimethylglycine. So it's it's basically an amino acid with uh, quite a lot of health benefits, like lowers oxidative stress, helps with um, NADPH, which is a like a which is a coenzyme similar to NAD, and yeah, just helps with sleep even. And uh, yeah, like a, it it doesn't it's not like a sweetener the same way as uh, I don't know sucralose or uh, even stevia. So uh, yeah, it's definitely something that I use uh, quite often. Uh, glycine. And just take like glycine powder you can mix it into water you can add it to your coffee you can add it to teas or whatever it is just uh consume it that way and it's really really awesome stuff what do you think about l-carnitine supplementation uh i think that if you're eating some meat and animal products then you don't really need to supplement carnitine uh, but it does that it it may just increase fat oxidation slightly so it depends on your overall diet but if you're not deficient of it then there's no like additional boost it's not going to make you burn more fat <laughs> uh, do you recommend taking metformin uh not really like um, most people don't don't need to do it or like depends on the individual like if they're diabetic they're obese they're insulin resistant they're not working out they're eating like crap <laughs> they're uh uh, they're not fasting, then yeah, maybe using the metformin uh, can be useful for uh, fixing their symptoms and uh, helping them to establish like uh, better biomarkers. But for people who are, you know, they're doing uh, all the things right, then for them it can be actually harmful uh, because of, uh, you know, uh, suppressing protein synthesis as well as uh, decreasing mitochondrial function. So it, it can be actually, you know, metformin it's been shown that metformin and these other antioxidants and other uh, other compounds around exercise actually decrease performance. So uh, yeah, I wouldn't take I wouldn't take metformin if you're already like lean, you're already fasting and you're already exercising. But at the same time, like if you're ready to be, I don't know, like you're in a situation where you know a lot of these uh, very biohacker guys they may take metformin if they're if they're having some carbs, something just to lower the blood sugar faster. And I do think that that's a smart idea. So if you are having like carbs or some, I don't know, cake, then like the metformin essentially lowers uh, the blood sugar and lowers the insulin. So you're not causing that much damage, but you can, you can replicate that with things like, you know, uh, berberine or just going for a walk as well. So you don't need to take like metformin. I'm, I don't, I think the, longevity longevity uh, research around metformin it's 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 because of the suppression of mTOR and deactivation of autophagy so but you can still mi mimic that by doing some actual fasting so you, if you're doing fasting then you don't really i think you don't need to take additional metformin and it can't be actually too much because too much autophagy and uh, too little mTOR can also be uh, harmful for longevity what do you think about the theory of not mixing certain foods and how would that apply to OMAD? Yeah, like the don't combine fats and carbs. Uh, I do think that uh, it's something to pay attention to. And uh, like if you have these high glycemic carbs with high amounts of fats, then that can promote some um, insulin resistance as well as just the weight gain. Because... Uh, 
the body can, on, can only kind of prioritize one fuel source or the other and uh, in the presence of fats then your your uh, your body can become uh, slightly insulin resistant especially if you combine them together and that can result in like higher blood sugar and your insulin is going to stay higher for longer so uh, yeah like ide ideally you would want to eat um, either low carb uh, higher fat or low fat higher carb so both of them can work uh for 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 improving uh your like uh insulin sensitivity and general health but if you combine them together then um, that can be a problem so the the only caveat to this is that if you stay at a calorie deficit then you can probably get away with it so uh, if you're eating you know junk food that has fats and carbs together but you stay at a calorie deficit then it's not that big of a deal because the calorie deficit kind of counterbalances the potential downside but if you overconsume calories then the uh, then the effect is actually much worse so to say compared to having overeaten on let's say one of these mono diets so the calorie balance still matters and the kind of overall energy status matters if you're if you stay at a calorie deficit then uh, all the beneficial aspects of of calorie of the calorie deficit and the fasting can uh, help you to deal with the oxidative stress and uh, and such um using mct powder in my coffee instead of cream is that a good idea uh yeah well compared to cream then mct powder is yeah in my opinion much better so uh you're getting the ketones from the mct powder and you're not spiking igf1 and you're not spiking insulin which would happen if you consume just dairy and cream. So uh, there are certain things that break a fast much faster and uh, much more profoundly. And the cream is definitely on top of the list because it's dairy and the dairy is very insulinogenic and it raises IGF-1 more than other foods. And especially compared to MCT oil, which is more ketogenic and actually maintains some aspects of autophagy. So yeah, like MCT oil powder is definitely uh, much better can keto stimulate stem cells uh not directly that i'm aware of but like the the research that walter longo has done is shown that you know the fast he he has done research on mice that shows fasting for like about three days rejuvenates the immune system and pro releases some stem cells that uh, promote that rejuvenation and the key key aspect of that switch happened when a certain en enzyme was activated called uh, cyclic AMP or CAMP. And uh, that happens primarily once your glycogen stores are, or your liver glycogen stores are depleted and the body switches into ketosis. So uh, indirectly, that can be, well, I, would, I wouldn't think that a keto diet per se would uh, stimulate stem cells. But it would help. It would condition your body to tap into its stem or release its stem cells faster because it doesn't have the glycogen uh, in front of itself. And fasting, we know that it, that that does uh, promote stem cells. And when you are fasting, then you are in ketosis. So uh, there's only the, the difference between uh, being in nutritional ketosis, which is happens when you're eating, and the fasting ketosis, which happens while you're fasting. So I think that on a keto diet you would probably just need to fast for a shorter period of time to uh, 
reach that state where you promote stem cells. If my body fat is 30%, should I prioritize cardio or weight training to get into lower body fat? Uh, well, I think that the best, if your goal is a weight loss, then the focus and priority should always be on resistance training because uh, resistance training, it's not only burning calories, but it also promotes the recomposition of your body weight. So the goal isn't, I think that the goal shouldn't be to just lose weight because you can also lose muscle and you shouldn't want to lose muscle at least to a reasonable degree. And um, having more muscle mass will also make the dieting more easier uh, because uh, you'll, you'll be burning more calories at rest. You're more insulin sensitive and you also have like a larger glucose tank into which you can dump calories and uh, glucose. So yeah, like uh, the weight training should be more important uh, than cardio. You can, you shoot, in order, like cardio is going to accelerate the weight loss, but uh, but if you're only doing cardio and not weights, then that will just lead to uh, muscle loss in addition to the fat loss. Whereas if you do uh, weights, you're you're lifting enough, you know, heavy weights and stimulating muscle protein synthesis and muscle growth, then in that scenario you would uh, you would lose more fat and maintain more muscle, and that, that's uh, like just a healthier outcome. But both both are like you know you if you want to stay healthy and fit then uh, you should do both, but uh, prioritize the weight training and resistance training. Uh, opinion on the process of glycation where carbs, not fats, oxidize and damage native LDL. Uh, so yeah, like in my opinion, you would want to avoid the formation of these advanced glycation in products, which uh, you know primarily happen from oxidative stress, inflammation. And uh, having uh, sugar molecules attached to uh, protein molecules or uh, fat, so yeah, like that—that's that's another reason why you wouldn't want to have like a high-fat, high-carb uh, meal. And uh, even like overcooking creates these uh, these uh, byproducts. And uh, yeah, like just the general oxidative stress. Does non-fat powdered milk spike insulin? I think it does. Well, it depends on uh, how much and depends on your insulin sensitivity. But uh, yeah, generally, uh, dairy spikes insulin quite hard. <laughs> mm. All right, I'm going to start wrapping it up. So uh, I'm going to pick my last question. So thanks for everyone for watching. What fat, macro, what fat macro percentage do you recommend for fat loss? What's the lowest fat percent you suggest? Uh, I think that... Uh, you know, yeah, generally, uh, you know, if you if you keep your fat lower, then you're gonna it's gonna create a larger calorie deficit because fat has quite a lot of calories. But at the same time, being low fat for too long can also cause like hormonal problems. The the uh, general recommended minimum for fat per day is said to be around fifteen percent of your daily calories. Like that's the minimum uh, healthy range. And for most people, that's going to be only like maybe 30 grams of fat per day. So that's like the just for uh, general survival and healthy or the minimal minimal hormonal uh, functioning. Uh, but at the same time, if you were if you're fasting, then you're not really eating fat either. So you're like zero fat. So uh, like short term, zero fat percent is fine and it's not going to be a problem. Like there's even these protein sparing modified fasts where you're eating just protein for a few days 
and you're at a massive calorie deficit with zero fat and this is like a really fast way to lose weight so it depends on yeah like what's your diet plan and how fast are you planning on losing losing the weight but uh, generally the minimum minimum intake for fat should be around like 30 to 50 grams in my opinion but you know that's i don't think that's not that healthy so uh like the for anyone who is not doing a keto diet then for them they could you know take maybe like 70 grams of fat and for someone who is doing like a low carb diet then their fat intake would naturally be higher because they need the fat for their energy and uh at the same time like you just you can you can start to micromanage that and you can also be you know w- worried about these numbers so uh, i would o- i would just kind of pay more attention to getting high amounts of protein because uh if you're getting more protein then you're getting the satiety effect you're getting the increased me- metabolic effect and uh you're also going to you know prevent yourself from um, getting hungry and uh, to give you like an answer then I don't know, like the, the minimal fat percentage would be like, I myself, I think I'm getting maybe like, if I were to guess, I would get like a 50% of my calories coming from fat or maybe 40%, 40 to 50% is for me and the rest of them are coming from protein and carbs. All right, that's it for this episode. As a reminder, you can get the Metabolic Autophagy Masterclass for 20% off by using the code SEAM20 at the show notes. So thanks for listening, stay tuned for the next episode, stay empowered.